Hey, Kansas City. Welcome back to another episode of the KC Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, David Maples, and I'm so excited today to have Hurston Fails on the show. Uh, Hurston Fails is the new Chief Technology Officer of Storyteller, an AI uh, platform and startup here located in the Kansas City area. Uh, more than that, he's a, um, a technologist, a speaker. Um, I would say he's a futurist, and he actually, I think most importantly, um, has hosted a lot of events around town that help bring various parties together and understanding technology and is bridging kind of the divide between those who understand technology and those who do not. So, Hurston, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, David. I, I appreciate it. So I, I just want to I want to dive in here for a minute. Just okay. just the beginning. Yeah. So um, Storyteller. Yes. OK. Chief Technology Officer, it's a brand new thing for you. Yes. And I met uh, JQ, who's the founder of the program. Correct. And uh, uh, plug here, if he hears this episode, we'd love to have you on the show. He, he will hear this. I, I texted him before I came in. Okay. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. So, um, Storyteller, um, I want you to talk about it in your own words, but I just want to say, this is a, um, I just got to gush about this for a second. Um, as somebody, uh, Casey Leaders in my other life, we're building a, um, a, a generative AI platform, very different than Storyteller, more business geared. Right. But this is a platform that creates custom stories where your child can be the center of their own story yeah. using generative AI. And um, I just, I'd like you to talk about it just for a minute. Yeah. So at a high level, the platform allows you to build stories dynamically while utilizing some tooling via AI, of course, a um, little bit different from traditional like prompt based story like building and that these stories are unique to prompts that are on the back end systems. And so while you are, in fact, inputting information that you want to show up in the story, um, there are some guardrails just to make sure that individuals are protected. And so there's actual layers of true, what I would call true prompt engineering that's happening on the back end where there's actual inputs and then those inputs generate outputs, which is very different from what you would see with like a chat GBT where you go and enter in some information, you get random and oftentimes obscure feedback if you're not specific and don't know exactly what to put in. This kind of takes that that extra layer of work out of it and makes it just more fun and immersive. So the end result is something that you can actually read to a young person without issue. And we give you an ability to make some edits once that story is generated. If you're not necessarily pleased with everything that comes out, um, if it's maybe too whimsical and that does happen on occasion, but you can go in and make some edits to that story and then save it and then go back and read it. And you can also generate um additional layers to that story. So like, let's say you read the story all the way through and you're like, man, I'd love to see how much further this adventure can go. Or my kid really loved this part. Um, let's see how much further we can take the saga. You do have the option to continue that story and it'll take all of the things that you already entered and just add on another layer to that story. So it's really, really sophisticated and will be more sophisticated in the future as we expand our uh, feature offerings. I, um, I think it's a, a really cool piece of tech and it's very different. Um, than our own platform that we've been building. Um, it does share some similar things on the back end, actually. Of course. But, um, similar things. But yep. but that being said, I've already shown this to like 10 people. Awesome. And they said, um, oh, yeah, I'd love to do this and get my kid involved with this and actually make my kid. Like, imagine a bedtime story, if you will, where, you're, where your child can be the center of the story or even use these kind of tools with their parents' help yep. to generate their own stories and own adventures. Absolutely. Um, 
I, I think it's I think it's a really cool piece of tech, a nice piece of kit, and um, I I just thought it was really cool. Um, Same. <laughs> so really cool stuff. So um, uh, that is at Storyteller. Dot AI. But if you do a search for Storyteller, mm-hmm. we'll we'll have links to this in the show notes below it and on YouTube. So um, that's Storyteller T A I L O R dot AI. So. Wanted to talk a di- dive a little bit deeply. I met you at a, a speaking engagement just a little bit over a yes. week ago, and um, the reason I really wanted to get you in studio now is um, I want you to talk. A l- I, and I, so I saw you and in this room using technology, introducing people to like kind of the Boston Dynamics robot, yes. kind of dispelling some of the myths around artificial intelligence, robotics, drones, all these technologies. Because as as we know in in uh, most of the mass media, it seems like a lot of people dwell on the negative kind of connotations of these things. I mean, science yes. fiction, right? Of course. You got to have course. a bad guy. If, if all the robots in your science fiction are all really helpful, I don't, I don't know what you would end up with at some point. Yeah. Um, the storyline is not nearly as compelling. I mean, Bicentennial Man is probably one of the few. Yeah. And um, if you remember AI, yeah, AI, the actual movie AI, mm-hmm. uh, that showed a very different perspective yes. of where robots could potentially head. Um, but yeah, even then they kind of villainized the concept of, you know, sentient intelligence yeah. through technology. And it took a wild turn. If you've never seen that film, it's a, it's a, it's a great film. It's a Spielberg um, vehicle. And uh, I think Jude law has a role in it at some point. Yes. And I think he says as a robot, they made us too fast, too smart and too, too good. And the humans were jealous. There's some thing to that, a point in the movie. Yeah. And again, it's that whole villain kind of thing. And Absolutely. It but it's a, it's a, it's a good movie. Um, it's very interesting, and I would say it was probably years ahead of its time. Agreed. Thinking about that. Yep. But um, but that being said, uh, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent there, but I, I would like to know a little bit about your background, because you're not a Kansas City native. I am not. I'm not. So how did, how did you end up here? Uh, like most people, a job brought me here. Uh, okay. Specifically, the spinoff from Sprint, uh, which was Embark at the time. And so I actually worked in Wake Forest, which is just north of Raleigh. Ironically enough, it is not where Wake Forest University is. Wake Forest University is in Winston-Salem, so a little bit of fun trivia there uh, for those who are not from North Carolina. Um, But I worked at the Embark office there. They were the landline service of Sprint, and they had just spun off into a new brand because I I guess Sprint wanted to offload um, that company at the time or that part of the business model at the time. And then another or position opened up here in Kansas City. So I was an intern there out of college. I uh, graduated from North Carolina A&T State University in Greensboro, historically black college. Uh, I would say number one, but it's fine. People argue that. I'm, I'm giving a talk at a Southern conference next week, and they would disagree. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and I respect all HBCUs. There's yeah. there's certain level of uh, shared love and knowledge mm-hmm. when it comes to the existence of, of HBCUs. But yeah, um, out of college, went to Embark, had a position open up in Kansas City. Um, my goal was to get out of North Carolina at some point. Um, no disrespect to North Carolina and some of my people who are there, uh, but there are parts of it that are a little less enjoyable. And I lived through some of those interesting experiences, mm. um, especially in like the late 90s early 2000s, there was some tension when it came to um, what people call racism, but just general bigotry. So there was some wild stuff happening there. My dad was a pastor. And so it it made for some unique things 
that took place. And so I, after seeing that, I was like, okay, I got to go and see New Skies. And Kansas City opened up as an opportunity, moved out here, uh, went to work in Embark, was there for maybe a few months. And then, of course, they had reorgs. Didn't mm-hmm. even know what that meant out of college. Um, basically, it means, hey, we're going to lay you off, but we'll give you some money so you can live for a little bit of time. And that kind of started my journey here along marketing and all kinds of things. And I've, I've had some really interesting positions over the years that have allowed me to learn a pretty wide array of things. If I'm not mistaken, if I, you know, I looked at your LinkedIn profile, kind of, I stalked you a little bit online and tried to figure out what was going on about you. You've kind of always been involved with, um, if there's one single epicenter point, it's always been related to technology type driven things. Yes, absolutely. So I have actually been interested in technology for a really, really, really long time. And by that, I mean like single digits age. Um, If you, you know, contacted my mom or, asked her at some point, she would easily tell you, um, hey, yeah, he's he's been interested in robotics. He's been in, interested in electronics. He's been interested in computers and design and everything that I'm doing now, I have actually been interested in or was interested in when I was really young. But here's the thing. Um, it's funny. Uh, Steve Jobs famously said you can only connect the dots um, looking backwards. You can't, right. you can't project them into the future. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're a person of the age who's exactly positioned where you need to be based on what's changing in technology right now. Yes. So that actually comes from a curiosity that I intentionally cultivate. Um, I've been in some corporate environments where they don't cultivate that curiosity and it can be very challenging for a person like myself. Um, I see how more things are connected than how they're separate In most corporate structures, that's not how they're built. They're built to construct silos to keep different things separated with the idea that um, they will somehow create uniform success by staying in their own lanes. uh, Where for me, I'm like, no, I can see how disparate things are connected. And then I work to bring those things together to help people understand that there are more opportunities that are available if they so choose to explore them. So. So based on where you're at now, you know, from uh, working at Sprint as an intern to now chief technology at a um, a really promising startup, what do you find most rewarding about what you get to do? Um, Inform people. I've I've told you before and I'll, I'll say it again. I believe the lowest hanging fruit feeds the most people. I think a lot of times, especially in technology, we're, we're very pie-in-the-sky type people. We, we see so far out, um, and sometimes it's so far out even when it's up close, right? So VR and AR, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, um, and then mixed reality solutions, just as an example. Um, we started to explore them, and then when people didn't adopt right away, we began to be frustrated, and we kind of went on to the next technology, and we hadn't really truly fully explore, explored what the opportunities were in those spaces. Um, and this, again, just a singular example. And so as I see technology shifting, I've had a lot of conversations with people who feel like, OK, we're not necessarily included in the way that this is being built. And why is that? And my thing is, let's not wait until things get built to then get frustrated and angry because we don't see ourselves there. And then the narratives and the stories start to get built post the development process. I'm saying we can get involved earlier, but I understand 
that not everybody knows what's happening. Not everybody's familiar with the language. Okay, let's bring everybody as up to speed as we possibly can, explore opportunities, and then we can take off from there to help more people get engaged in the processes of building these technologies, but also being involved in finding, you know, some success as well as some financial opportunities in the space. It's really interesting. Um, Building technologies that um, address bias, that are inclusive, um, is it's it's interesting when these um, when these pieces of technology and and from my own experiences, my other podcasts even, um, there's bias. It's if if children don't see themselves in the movies, if um, so, uh, my wife is a designer and a creative, and she talked about why um, Into the Spider Verse she thought was a very very important movie. It's an animated film, and I think uh, in the Marvel universe, um, inclusion was a very uh, it was until we had some of the later movies like um, Black Panther, et cetera, there, there was no inclusion originally early on. Is that, am I wrong in that? Um, I'm not trying to vilify Marvel. I no, understand no, no, that no. I, I think, I think Marvel did a good job in terms of trying to slowly begin to introduce different ethnic groups into the universe. But Marvel is a bit of an outlier in that one, it's fantasy, but then two, they actually had beings from other planets, right? So there's a level of inclusivity that comes just by nature of the fact that there really are different races of beings that would unify to, you know, take care of or accomplish a singular goal. Now, was a lot of it projected through a predominantly Anglo gaze? Yes, but that's because Stan Lee was an Anglo male. Yeah. Um, Now, there were other animators and creators during the time when Marvel was being built as an entity that started to introduce a lot of other characters of color, but it takes time in their timeline to build them into the infrastructure Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the nature of the way that they built the comics. Now, comic book nerds don't get mad at me. I don't know all the timelines. I don't know all the splits. Um, I, I will, I will admit I don't have a treasure trove of original comics from certain periods of time. Um, But I'm just looking at things from the perspective of how they've built out the narrative in film. And uh, they did include a lot of the stories that are are, are starting to incorporate more people into the fold. Um, And there were outside social pressures that led to that. I mean, we can't be disillusioned and think that those things did not have an impact on it. But if we're honest about that specific entity, they were kind of starting that path anyway. Um, it's been more difficult when it comes to actual technology than the fantasy world mm. um, because it's it's still not uncommon that when I walk in the room, I'm the only person, uh, sometimes I'm the only African-American in the entire space. Oftentimes I'm the only person who, with melanated skin in the place. Um, and And you'll hear me use certain terms because I try to be very intentional about my own awareness when it comes to ethnicity, um, nationality, culture, um, I'm, I'm not one that gets too deep into the race part of it, not because I don't believe in racism as a construct, but I think we fall back on the idea that, oh, it's a social construct, and we leave it at that. Sure. While it can con- continues to kind of, it continues to kind of not pay homage or even take into consideration the different ethnicities and cultures that make us. Uh, and so it can be very limiting. 
And so while I understand the history of it all, again, had to learn it and grew up in a household that was steeped in it. Um, I started to understand the humanity part of it and then try to offer a level of respect when it comes to that part. And then everyone doesn't have the same type of like singular identity. Sure. And so I'm just prefacing what I'm saying with that. You'll hear me say brown people. You'll hear me say African-Americans specifically, because those are the specific groups I'm talking about. And while I understand singular terms like black and brown, they are very reductive because not everybody either recognizes themselves as a singular color. Um, and some people are perceived in a specific way ethnically, but they're not necessarily that. So with respect to everybody and where they come from, I use very specific terms. So I'm laying that out now. I did want to say one thing about this, and this is not to add on. I just remember uh, my wife um, graduated from the University of Georgia with a degree in fine art and animation in 2002, I believe it was. She was the only female in that program. And um, I just remember one of the nights they were inviting her. Um, they didn't invite her. She showed up and they were playing Counter-Strike. All the boys were playing Counter-Strike on the computers and the computer labs. Okay. And she wasn't allowed to play. Interesting. And it was really weird. It was like they couldn't let. And, and I know things have changed. I mean, we had that terrible Gamergate thing a few years ago. And I mean, it's just interesting how these things are changing. And I'm glad to see uh, women starting to be included in the tech sector. But still, if you're in Silicon Valley, if you're not a white man, um, I mean, that's kind of Silicon Valley still. I mean, it is yeah. it's changing a little bit, but. You know. Well, it's not really changing as much as we think it is. I think the measurements shifted. Mm. And so uh, people take great pride in the mine, the most minor accomplishments. Oh, so we promoted one person in our company and now 1000 percent. It's not it's very nom it's it's nominal and relatively insignificant. When you look at the actual data itself, because people are chasing uh, major numbers with minor percentages. So if I hire one more African-American person, well, I have 100 percent increased my diversity in a group. And, it, and statistically, that's accurate. But you only had three people on staff. And so you hired two. Yeah. OK, then, well, then don't yeah, guys not know that map did not match. But my point <laughs> is, like, that's how a lot of companies are measuring uh, ethnic success and diversity and inclusion. So, so it's wild. So to restate this, I have one African-American man working on my staff. I add a second one. I've doubled. Correct. My racial diversity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that technically is the math is correct. The math checks out. That's just because you can't have half a person. That's insane, though. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. It's asinine. It's mildly annoying. And it it um it kind of undermines what our like what people's intelligence is, mm -hmm. you know. And unfortunately, I've been in places uh, where I feel like that was the celebration. You know, oh, we hired one more African-American person. We're now diverse. It's like, no. And also diversity is not solely linked to your perceived ethnicity. That's where it gets tricky because people will say, well, we're diverse. Mm -hmm. Well, as an example, if I was a KU grad, no, just a KU, but just as an example, if I was a KU grad and I've I was from here, lived here my whole life. But everybody that I was around was also KU grads who also lived here their mm -hmm. whole life. Technically, I am ethnically diverse. Yes. But in terms of my thinking, it's 100 percent possible that I don't think any different from anyone around me. So in terms of perspective, 
there's no shift in that, which doesn't allow for me to understand outliers and other use cases where we could add value in a community. So you're talking about not just not just um, racial identity right. or uh, nationality right. or religious background upbringing. Yep. You're talking about a difference of a, a diversity in thought and opinion. Yes, and lived experience. Because that, that does make a very different. Absolutely, very different. absolutely. See, because I'm not from Kansas City proper, right? Mm-hmm. I view the city in a very different way. Um, and again, this is not to disparage anybody who lives here. But what I found very interesting is there's a there's a lot of like area based tribalism. Yes. And so there's this thought that like, oh, I live on this side of the state line. I will never visit the other side of the state line. And it's like, well, there could be millions of dollars of opportunity. And I was like, yeah, but I'll never go over there. It's like, OK, well, that seems not that in, that smart. Uh, from a business perspective, nor from a lifestyle sustaining it, it perspective. It is interesting weird. because um, you know, Kansas and Missouri have both very different traditions. And I'm I'm right. not originally from here. Right. But, you know, if you live in Independence versus Olathe versus Raytown, all these different areas. Um, and I, I've only kind of just been experiencing. I, I love the city. I feel like a Me lot too. of stuff's going the right way. Me too. And uh, but it is interesting. Sometimes um, I I, uh, in this podcast right now, we are technically in the quote unquote Northlands. I didn't know what yes. that was. Yep. And I'm like, and I don't understand that because, uh, I grew up around Atlanta, Georgia and everything was two hours away. Yes. In Atlanta, it's sprawling everything. And so for me, I'm like, I can be downtown in seven minutes. Yes. That is nothing. And so it's like, Oh, you're North of the river. And I was like, I don't, is that the bridge? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's seven no, minutes. I'm like, yeah. that's nothing. I could probably ride my bike there. There's a very interesting language in the area. Yeah. And, and and it's not until you really understand how that works, how to navigate it. And I want to be clear about something, too. There is a very specific type of history attached to the way that people feel. And I do not want to negate those feelings because there is a very true like lived experience for generations that yeah. people have had here. So while I understand why people may feel a specific way about what side of the state line they visit, what cities they will go to and contribute to or not, I respect that. But on the other side of that, that also kind of holds the cities back a little bit. Um, just in terms of how far we could progress if we could find true common ground. The only challenge is that, and I think this goes back to what you stated earlier, there are unresolved issues like in most cities. Again, mm-hmm. I'm from North Carolina, specifically the triad, High Point, Winston-Salem, yep. Greensboro. Greensboro has its own unique history. Um, again, it's the East thing. So that's, it's on the East side of Greensboro versus the West side of Greensboro. There's some very specific, unique differences. And the architect of that divide is from here, you know, uh, JC Nichols. And so when you know the history of that, that was one of the first things I learned when I was here, I was listening to KCUR. I don't know if we can plug them, but yeah, KCUR is awesome. Um, I was listening to them and they were breaking down the story of like the covenants and just like redlining and all the stuff that terms that I had heard, gerrymandering, all the terms that I had heard, but the origin story I was not as familiar with in terms of like what, created the structure. It wasn't just racism. There was like, when they say systemic racism, it's about constructing a actual system, like much like computer-based systems that run very specific functions and conditions. So I'm kind of like bridging the gap of technical language and what we know to be human existence. And they make these things so that they run on their own, Um, but they build it into law and very specific type of structures. And a lot of that stuff is still pervasive today. And so 
this goes back to what we talked about with biases and systems. Again, back to the connected things. This yeah. is how my brain works. And so a lot of times the reason that we see those those disparities, those challenges, those issues with bias in programming is because we live yeah. in a programmed kind of society. And so that stuff translates into jobs. Those jobs are often, especially in our world, are in the technical space. And people have these biases and these bends that they're not as aware of. You know, it's not at the front of their mind, but it's ingrained through like different levels and tiers of indoctrination and just teaching over time. And so now it's just a progression of a system that's happening outside now showing itself inside. And so that's what we're seeing when we look at AI, when we look at any of these emerging technologies that are exclusive or seemingly exclusive. um, We're just experiencing what we've already had on the outside. It's just accelerated in this system because computers are truly binary. Yeah. And that's the that's the trick. That's where it gets a little little hairy. So it's um it's it's a real challenge. It's really interesting what you're saying there. Um, and full disclosure, the producer on this podcast right now currently is in Greensboro, North Carolina. Right nice. now, Devin. Um, but it's interesting. I'm originally I grew up in Georgia, but I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Which um, <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything bad about Birmingham. It's got its own unique history. That's the best way to say but it. But redlining and Birmingham, Alabama, as it was called for a while there, mm-hmm. um, is a known thing, and um. You know, it's these things are systemic. They're in our systems and we have to find a way to break those things moving forward. I think any city that really wants to be um, kind of a city of the future needs to think about. um, I think the experiences can't be diminished. I think it's important to know where you came from, but I think it's 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 incumbent upon all of us to see if we can fight against those systems and say. That's not how it should work in the 21st century. Right. Um, that's at least my thoughts on it. Or if we use our 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 lingo and language disrupt, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's very difficult sometimes to fight an undercurrent. Sure. Right. And so what you have to learn how to do is how do you swim on top of the water? Mm-hmm. Right. What is swimming on top of the water look like in some of these spaces? Um, because sometimes you have to overcome those challenges. Um but not fight so hard to rebuild broken systems. It's sure. very difficult to do. Some, you know, I'll, I'll put it in my own like language. There are times when I'm building a project and I've gotten super far along in it, right? And I forget what the name of, there's a specific type of, um, I don't know if it's a bias, not a bias. There's a specific type of like psychological dynamic where you feel like if you continue to do something and you suffer a loss, that it is a total loss. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that often blocks us from like moving forward. And so what I found is that sometimes you got to scrap it. Mm-hmm. Like I just recently got off a project that I was doing something creatively for. And a part of the process was I created this, um, this texture mm-hmm. for this project and this particular texture it does not work outside of the program. Mm. You actually have to do what's called baking these images and then relayer them to make them work. Well, if I was going to fight against the program, I would keep trying to force the program to do sure. what it does not want to do and what it won't do. Instead of saying, okay, how do I swim on top of the water with this? Cause the undercurrent is too great. Oh, okay. So if I'm using a procedural texture, which is what it's called, I have to export each of the layers of the procedural texture into their own images 
and then reintroduce them into the model. Now, did it take me time to do that? Absolutely. But if I wanted the end result of having the model fully textured, this was necessary to get that done. So I had to address that issue by going in and fixing it. And 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 again, that's not to say I should go into this software and reprogram it to allow for procedural textures to work outside of it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. Got and it. that's oftentimes what we do in our spaces. But to fast forward to what's happening right now and the reason why I do a lot of what I do. Systems are currently being built. Yes. And before exclusion and um, changing of narrative and remanufacturing of story can truly take hold, because in a lot of our a lot of these technologies, bias has already played a legal role in people's lives. There's already been false identity arrests. And you can go look it up. New York Times did a whole like story on it. There was a gentleman who was falsely identified by a computer vision software built into a camera and it said that he had committed a crime because based off of something else that happened, he met a certain threshold of like similarity to the person who actually did it. They took him into custody. It was a whole thing and they were like, oh yeah, so false or mistaken identity, right? This has already happened. We're not talking about like super far in the future. But It's so early in the development of these systems that we do have an actual ability to have a profound positive impact on the outcomes that happen within five to 10 years. But we should not sit around and wait so that we can then be mad at us not being there. And that's the shift for me mentally that to your very first question, that's why I do what I'm doing. It's um, it's a kind of like uh, just to boil it out from the listeners a little bit. It's kind of like complaining about gluten being in what you were baking mm-hmm. after you've already got the cake there. Absolutely, you have to address these systems when they're being built. It's really hard to fight against the technology after it already exists, and yes. we already know um, from a training standpoint. We know, and uh, I get I'm getting a little far afield from Casey leaders. We know that predominantly all these imaging systems were chained on Caucasian people a lot Rex. of times initially. And so false identity, um, HP had the terrible, uh, several years ago, they had the uh, false identification of black people and uh, confusing them with, um, I think, uh, primates. Uh, primates. Yeah. Google and, had a similar and, challenge. Yeah, and, and, and it's just, um, you wonder who's sitting around this room. And I, I don't necessarily, it's partly the systems. Nobody thought about it. Nobody thought to ask, hey, did we test this on a different group of people? When we do human subject testing with, um, uh, medical devices or medical things, we're supposed to be testing them on a lot of different groups, et cetera. Yes. So we have an idea if there's a bias that shows up because you can marginalize a group of people very, very easily and end up with very bad outcomes. Yeah. And I just, I feel it's important to have diversity of, of background experience, race, ethnicity, and all of these other things in the room when we're making those initial baking decisions for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm so glad you're in this space. I want to ask right now, this is all tied into what you're doing. What are you doing? What ways are you contributing to make it Kansas City a better place to kind of live, play, and work? Absolutely. So I've gotten very involved in Keystone Innovations Collab uh, with Kevin McGinnis um, and everything, and, and as well as, as, as Craig uh, with uh, BXKC. Mm-hmm. We're building an ecosystem of creatives, of just individuals in the area 
Um, it's a fantastic place where you can actually go physically and meet and share ideas and thoughts. My contribution to, to that space is we have an emerging tech talk or segment um, that happens on the fourth Wednesday of every month. And so what happens is we kind of line up speakers and a specific subject matter that gets covered to help inform people of things in the emerging tech space. We have full on like presenters. And then what I typically do is I'm in the seven o'clock hour. I do kind of a super high level of some, some type of emerging tech. We talk about the myths. We talk about the key terms to bring everybody up to speed. And then we talk about opportunities, right? We don't sit around and hyper-focus on all of the negative things. We'll, we'll leave that to external media. We'll leave that to other individuals. And let me be frank about this. A lot of times that negative narrative that you receive is from people who are not actually in the space. They've not actually done anything in the space, right? So for me, I get intentionally involved in these things so I can speak from experience. So, I have bought an NFT before. I'm familiar with how smart contracts work. Um, I've gotten into the AI space. I understand how the prompts work. I understand what a large language model is. I understand the impact, the potential impact of computer vision on our everyday lives. Um, you know, I've, I, I was able to work with Evergy to get the robot in person, to get the spot robot from Boston Dynamics Evergy calls it Sparky, um, to a place where people can see it in real life. I, I tried to facilitate, and I tried, I did. I facilitated them bringing their drones out so people could actually see a real drone fly around if they had never seen it before. Let's put this technology in front of people so that like the movie narratives and the external narratives from, again, people who are, are not familiar with the space, um, so they can actually see what it is and then start to think about how can I utilize this in my life? How can I overcome fear that nine times out of 10 was manufactured from somewhere else? And now look at this as a place of opportunity. That's my contribution to this. And right now that contribution is relatively small to the actually the size of Kansas City. But I think eventually we'll be able to expand what it is that we're working on, specifically my own personal mission of making sure people that are informed, I think we'll have an opportunity to see that grow so that more people feel empowered and less um, disenfranchised and disempowered by the things that they're experiencing right now. That's that's my aim and goal. When I hit that stage and when we have those sessions, that's what I'm trying to do every time. And I should also note that Keystone has speaker sessions and a bunch of other events that happen throughout the week. Every Wednesday, like clockwork, five to eight o'clock, there are always sessions every week that happen. And I would encourage anybody who listens to this, technical or non, just come and sit in on some of those sessions because people are creating amazing things. Uh, people have really cool lived experiences that they hit the stage and they share. Um, and if you have a really cool experience, you can also hit the stage and share it. Um, if that's one of those things that you want to kind of get out into the public. So that's my role. One that I can point exclusively to as a technical consultant. So a lot of that external work and extra work that I do. Mm -hmm. I offer services to groups and organizations that I feel like they need because I've been in like the professional and corporate spaces and found that those services are not often given or um, afforded to people who really need them. And I want to make sure that they get 
that as well. So when I do my videography and all that kind of stuff for my different clients, or if I do brand or identity design, or I do periodic website updates, I understand in most of those instances, and a lot of those groups that I work with are nonprofits, they don't typically have access to people who do that on a long-term basis. And so it gets very difficult to maintain that in a highly technical world. If you don't have somebody technical that you can talk to, to help inform you of things, it can get, it, it can become very easy to get lost. And so I just try to remain a resource. I try to remain available to a lot of those companies and organizations that need that type of help because I understand that one, they're probably, they've probably been misinformed. And two, I don't want them to make an investment in something that doesn't have any long-term returns for them. So that's, that's the role that I play both in professional capacity as well as the work that I do in the community. Um, I met you through um, the Keystone collab, actually. Right. And um, just, I guess, just to plug something on the KC Leaders podcast, it's been requested that um, as we're putting the show notes together and, and putting all these things, we are going to be putting together a resource guide um, kind of in within the website. It, you know, so anybody can go there. Um, we're going to have a map with different locations around town um, just to help um, amplify the voices already out there. There are a lot of good places out there to find the resources, but we felt like that was something we, we had it requested and we're doing it on the show. And, um, and that's one of the things we're working on. Is there another initiative or project you want to talk about? Keystone collab we'll have in the show notes. We'll have it down there. Yes. Um, is there another thing you're involved in? You think is really, really dynamic and cool. So there is a ticketed event at the Nielsen Atkins museum. Um, I had the honor and pleasure of creating a um, 3D rendering that will be minted as an NFT in celebration for the 90th anniversary of the Nielsen Atkins Museum. Um, That event will happen on the 16th of November. Uh, But again, it is a ticketed event because they're only going to mint so many NFTs. So it's you have to have that in order to show up. It is it's open to the public. Yes. But you also have to have proof that you've purchased I take it for the event. I'm, I'm trying to be very explicit about that because I don't want people to show up to the museum that night and think, oh, I'm just going to get in. No, you have to have acquired a ticket. All right. So when this episode is airing, yeah. this is uh, this will be next week. It'll be okay. next Thursday, the 16th. Okay. Um, and this is airing on, I believe, the I have to look at the date, but this should be Tuesday. Okay. Uh, we're recording this a week before that or just a few days. Before Got that. it. So you may miss it. But it's okay. Just know that it happened and it was cool. It was cool. Um, it, this this episode will be up a week before that. That is our yeah. guarantee. Okay, cool. But um, if you can get a ticket, we're going to have, um, we're going to, as we do on our socials, we're going to have links to that so you can get tickets if they're still available at that point in time. Right. Um, it's a great event. Um, I'd recommend everyone to go out. Don't miss it. Um, you can meet Hurston in person there. Yeah. And um, it's it's really cool. And if you haven't, if you're part of the Kansas City community and you haven't had a chance to go to the Nelkin, Nelson Atkins Museum, yes, please it is go. A, um, it is a phenomenal a phenomenal art museum. I yes. would say it's in probably the top twenty in the United States. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. They have actual water lilies uh, by Van Gogh there. Um, I mean, they've got one of the giant triptychs. I, it, it's it's a very cool museum. It's an amazing space. And I think everyone should experience it if they can. And if I can plug something. So Absolutely. the leadership that's changed more recently has put a ton of effort into being actively inclusive in the art that shows up there, which is important. 
Um, I've got a couple of people that I know who actually have pieces that are up there. Ah. Um, if you've never seen work by Chico Sierra, you should absolutely check it out. He's one of the most phenomenal artists in Kansas City. Um, Warren Harvey is also another one. I don't think he has a piece in there yet, uh, but he deserves to have a piece in there. Um, there are a few artists around the city that do some amazing work. And Kansas City's full of fantastic artists, too. Let me, like, preface it with that. The reason that this museum can be the way that it is and you can have so many in incredible pieces that are there is because you have that energy of art here in Kansas City. And I will say what's really unique about the Nielsen is that they have like the older part of the museum and then they had an addition that's more contemporary. Mm. So it plays a fantastic role. Like it bridges that gap between like older pieces, uh, you know, your Rembrandt's, Sure. Um, you know, that era of time, you're, the more realistic oil paintings that you would come across, the Impressionists, some, cubis, some Cubism stuff. But then, like, you can go into the more modern branch and see art from local artists as well as more contemporary artists. And the way that they kind of cross the generations when it comes to artistic representation is amazing. It's one it, it's a jewel that I don't know that people in Kansas City really understand the value of, at least not right now. But it has been noted um, on some in some national forums and nationally syndicated uh, uh, published material that it's like one of the top museums, top 10 museums in the country. It's incredible. And I just don't know that enough people go and really experience that museum the way they should. And it's open to the public. They do have paid exhibits from time sure. to time. Again, the event that I'm doing is paid uh, or ticketed. But there's a ton of just free things that happen there. And just you can just go in and, and look at the art. It's, it's beautiful. And there's a cafe there. So if you want to get a coffee, you can do that. Too. See, that's, that's the amazing thing about Kansas City. There are so many and, and I, there are so many, quote unquote, hidden gems in the city. And I think that's a problem because uh, we had Lisa Pena on the show. She does these urban hikes through Kansas City. Yeah, Lisa's awesome too. And, and they show, um, and she takes people to stuff they've never seen. We got a couple of muralists we want to get on the show. There is so much in the city. It's like you turn over a rock, you're like, I didn't know that was there. Um, they have the Negro Baseball Hall of Fame yeah. is down there. We have a jazz tradition. There is just so much. And I, I don't mean to go too overboard with this, but this is a cool freaking city to that's be right. in. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to shift gears for just a second. What kind of unique opportunities or challenges do you see for Kansas City in the coming years? Um, I'll start with the challenges and then I'll go to the opportunities. I want to finish. Sounds nice. good. OK. Challenges like in most major metropolitan cities, um, we still have some pretty clear uh, socioeconomic divides. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times those also pay, play across ethnic divides um, and just disparities in that space. Again, this is not uncommon to any larger or metropolitan city. That's kind of un the unfortunate nature of it. And we've already talked about at a high level the history of that. Um, so we still are trying to navigate that challenge um, and again, it's it's built. It's been built over time. It will take a lot of time to disrupt um, and or rebuild unless, you know, we get, I don't know, a group of Avengers in a, <laughs> an, an array of space. And I'm just using that as a term because we talked about Marvel earlier sure. um, to assemble and maybe shift some things uh, from a socioeconomic standpoint. 
um, and then just general societal challenges, the the narratives that surround both what it means to be in this part of town versus that part of town. I live in Wyandotte County. Unfortunately, we get a lot of that, a lot of backlash and a lot of flack. And I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of it at all. Um, and that that challenge is persistent on both sides of the state line and sometimes at the state line. Yeah. So we still have a lot of work to do to work to try to overcome that and find commonality, especially in places where we could both elevate each other. And by that, I mean both parts of the city, um, Kansas side or Missouri sides. So there's a lot of work to be done there as well as a lot of the narratives. And it's not narratives based out of a uh, conjecture. It is fact with the whole East of truth trope. I've heard that, that exists. It's annoying. It's frustrating. Um, I am in contact with and work closely with a lot of people who are putting in like real work, ground level work to overcome the challenges of that narrative um, and the the idea of the disparities um, that that come from, again, tropes, just negative tropes that so don't really they don't really speak to what's actually happening. So to, um, I heard this, um, <clears throat> probably within my first month here being in town, they, I was told, Oh, you don't go East of truce at, at night or something like that. And, um, I, I don't want to misspeak this. It, it has to do with some kind of, um, it's almost like a racial dividing line or something. Like, is that, is that it? Or it is be, it, is it, it economic? So, <laughs> I can't speak in super depth of the history because I'm not from here. Sure. So with respect to everybody who has a much deeper history than me, and I would even encourage you to maybe invite someone. I can I can fish around for some more I historian. Would love, I would places. love to bring some people on. The yeah, show. I'd, I'd prefer to get a historian, but I'm going to give you like the top level as it was described to me. Okay. Is there was of course during. And this this may even go back further than that, because you also have to understand the history of Missouri uh, and that state line as a divide also became the divide between uh, uh, enslavement and freedom during the period of enslavement. Yes. Right. Uh, cross that cross that state line, free state versus what they called at the time slave state. Right. And so there's still that history there. Well, if you take that and extrapolate it over time, you go through, you know, post-enslavement, uh, Jim Crow era, uh, on through, and I mean, I, I hate when this happens, but for the sake of the time, I'm, I'm time jumping to the civil rights era because sure. there's a whole litany of years in there that people dealt with challenges, struggles that were manufactured based off of a mentality, right? So it's steeped in that part. Then you have the whole covenants thing. That then took red lines and through rough redlining and gerrymandering, you took people and forced them to certain parts of the city, yeah. typically for economic reasons, but most importantly to to continue to play into the racial divide part of things. Then 71 was run through the city to further reinforce the divide because it's much more difficult for you to cross a highway than it is a street. Yeah. It's the same reason why in cities, you always look at major divides, waterways and railroad tracks. Rail, so it's railroads in Greensboro. 
Ah, and, and, and Birmingham, Alabama. Square yes. Roads. So east side, yeah. west side, there's literally a railroad that yep. runs right through the middle, yep. and that's the divide. That's when you know you've crossed into a different side of the city. So in this case, it was highway. Um, and then you also had Troost as another dividing line, and that became the whole east of Troost thing. So essentially what happened, again, high level, pleasing, I encourage you, bring a real historian up here. I will. Um, but there was intentional disenfranchisement by removal of resources. And as that began to be essentially bled out of these areas through a bunch of different things from taxes and abatements and all kind of stuff, you know, the, the rigmarole yep. of the bureau- bureaucracy that, that comes with city governments. Um, over time, people were the jobs the economic infrastructure was both dismantled and removed. And so you displaced, not only displaced people, but you also removed their ability to live by pulling out the economic part of it. Cause a lot of these areas were thriving in their, in their yeah. day. And just like you saw in Tulsa, that's Wilmington, a, yeah. North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, a lot of cities around the country, I believe that it also happened in like New Jersey. And then you have some stuff happening in Philadelphia where like they bombed areas. That kind of stuff was happening everywhere. In some places, it was actual bombs. They literally bombed a city. They literally set stuff on fire. I mean, Tulsa, the Tulsa 1921. Total bombing. Um, that's a, and a lot of people don't even know that happened. Government sanctioned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that happened. But that didn't just happen in Tulsa. It was happening everywhere. But in other places where people wanted to be a little less overt, they took the covert route and said, "Okay, so what we'll do is we won't allow for business loans beyond this Ah. point or specific businesses will get loans over here. But ones that allow for a diverse array of things, they will no longer be allowed over here. So if you want to drop a liquor store over here, you want to drop a laundromat, no disrespect, but you want to drop things that make areas look socially disadvantaged, yes. we will fund that. But when it's time to fund like a coffee shop or a sit down restaurant or clothers or like ta- like tailors, things of that nature, no. We're not going to allow for funding based off of zip code, based off of street. We won't, we won't allow for loans to happen. And I can't prove it, but again, talk to a historian, I would imagine that there was a potentially concerted effort through different financial institutions to not allow for that to happen because a lot of these people were connected. You have a lot of families that are tied into these institutions and they speak to each other. And it's essentially a situation of like strategic networking to disenfranchise people to allow for others to remain. So there's that underlying that undertone of Kansas City that still has not has yet to be addressed. Some of it deals with overall guilt. Some groups do not want to be affiliated. They don't want it to be known that they played an active role in the, the, the full-on disenfranchisement of an entire area of a city. Because um, for some, if you looked at it at a super high level, it can also be looked at as like social genocide. Um, because deaths happened and like literally tragic things have happened to families over time. If I can share a, um, a brief story. Yeah. Um, so in high school, uh, in the mid to late 90s, I, um, I worked at Taco Bell. 
and but I was building computers and I got hired by a real estate offer to do all the a real estate office to do all of their IT and infrastructure. Oh, and I think I see where this is headed. Old. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> <Okay>. I'm there. <clears throat> And I was working late one night and in the cubicle next to me, a couple of real estate agents, um, and I'm not going to say the name of the agency I was working for, so it doesn't matter. But if you happen to listen to this show, um, Neil, Dottie, hi. The point about it was, was that um, I heard them over talking one night. They said, oh, do you know what Tim did? And so I'm, you know, sitting there working on, I'm I'm running cable after hours. They said, they're going to move. He's talking about moving a black family into that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He can't do that. This isn't the, this isn't the nineties, man. Yeah. And it, it, it literally was. And I, I think that was my first, um, and I was what, 16. That was one of the first times where I said, it was something I heard. And I said, that, that shouldn't be happening. And I just remember I was in that office and I'm some know nothing kid, you know, and I heard that. And, uh, for those of you out here who think that these things don't happen, these things actively happen today and I'm not lecturing. They happen. Just look around, open yeah. your eyes. It happens. Yeah. Um, so to the next question, how do you help, how do you help overcome that? How do you help, um, how do you approach, you know, clo- uh, fostering like unity or collaboration within the things you're doing? How do you overcome that? So this actually goes to the second part of your question and opportunity as a direct connection to this. So the way that I change that is I'm very intentional about the connections that I make with people And I work hard to offer value to those folks, but then also connect them to other people who are doing similar or aligned work. So that's one of my own personal missions. Um, And I. I try to do it daily in terms of making those connections and ties. So I my active role is in, okay, hey, I know you have a fantastic podcast. David has a podcast. Okay, I have a friend, Lewis, mm-hmm. who is a technologist, brilliant human. He and his wife, Arlene, are creating something amazing. I don't know that you all have met. No. What typically happens is people say you should meet someone. Yep. And then you never hear anything else about it. What I try to do is say, I have a friend that I think you should meet. Let's set up a time. What's your availability? Yeah. I hop right into availability. And then I say, okay, let me quarterback this. So I'll send a message and then I'll say as a group, hey, when can everybody meet? Right. Then I say, okay, cool. We've established times. Let's establish a location. I try to do this thing in rapid succession. Right. So so we don't get so caught up in our daily lives and schedules that we forget to make that connection. And my whole thing is I make the initial connection and then I'll step back. I don't have to be involved anymore. If a friendship and a relationship and a partnership and all that stuff bloom and blossom from that, cool. If nothing comes from that, also cool. The point is you were connected to that person in real human life and were able to establish something. And why real human, sometimes that means in person, sometimes that means virtual with respect to the times that we live in. But if I can make it happen in person, I work very hard and intentionally to do that. And it's not uncommon that I'll arrange a meeting with someone and I'll say, um, and then I'll talk to a friend of mine and be like, yeah, are you free this day? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, cool, I'm gonna be at this spot. And then I'll, I'll reach back out to the person, hey, so look, I know you and I are having a meeting and we're gonna talk about very specific things, but is it cool if I invite this other person because I really want you two to meet? And I will create impromptu meetup sessions with people who I just think 
should at least know that each other exists. That's what I do. And then I'm also intentional about spreading out who who I share my dollars with. Active patronage. Yeah. I will go to equally minded and I will sit with Dontavius and have a cup of coffee or chai. Uh, by the way, the chai at equally minded top tier. All right. But then I'll also go to my buddy TJ over at Kinship Coffee in KCK and I'll sit down and chat with him and we'll have full on conversations and I'll spend money there. And then I'll go over to Cafe Corazon and I'll spend money there. And then I'll go over to Cafe Cafe and I'll spend money there. And if it's if 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 one of my friends is selling merchandise, I'll buy it. Intention, active intention. And it's not just limited to people who I know in the area. I start with Kansas City. So if I know people in Kansas City that who are doing these specific things, I'll make sure that I make them a priority in terms of how I spend my next dollar. If it's in a space where I feel like I need something, I'm intentional about that. Um, Chico Sierra, who I mentioned earlier, I've bought pieces from him. Like I bought four pieces from him. Before the murals and before this other stuff, because he was he's been brilliant a long time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I would I hopped on Facebook. I comment, your work is brilliant. And then he says, I'm selling things. And then I say, how can I buy them? And then I arrange to buy those pieces. And then I go and pick them up from him. And I keep those pieces. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to hang it because I don't have a lot of wall space. But the next phase is to hang them into something or like hermetically seal them. Cause at this point, like he's going to be it, but I do that with as many people who I come in contact with as possible. And I make very specific recommendations to people. So you say to me, Hurston, I want to communicate with a historian in the educational space. I'll say fantastic. Spark Bookhart is who you need to talk to. I'll arrange a meeting between you two and I'll try to get him up here to be on your podcast. Let's do that. Cause he is an educational mastermind slash historian, the level of depth that he knows about, especially Casey Moe school history. He has an entire organization built off of empowering parents through the parent power lab and all the work that he does through the parent organizing Institute is fantastic. I've sat through a couple of his sessions and I've learned all kinds of things about superintendents who were here. What happened, what happened during these periods of time? Why were there so many superintendents that happened during this era versus it? Like he goes deep into that stuff. So that's what I do. I say, David is interested in these things. I know. And this is the, this can be the frustrating part in my experience here. And I've been here almost, um, See, 2006 is when I got here. So I've been here that long. Um, And so as I've kind of matriculated through the system, I've been in different nonprofit organizations and all that kind of stuff. Nothing irritates me more than for a person to have the contact and then like hoard it. Even when I know you need it. So we've had a conversation and you say, Hurston, I'm building a situation. I'm trying to elevate the city by speaking with leaders in Kansas City. And I'm like, awesome. I'll come on your show. It's not uncommon for people to come on your show and you never hear from them again. That's true. And then you'll say, I'm still looking for leaders. And they're like, that's awesome. Good luck on that. Hope you find them. Whereas me, I'm like, oh, I've got five leaders in my head right now that I will. Hey, 
You need to go up to David's. I want to crowbar this stuff open, man. You know, <laughs> I totally did. And that's the part that I think eventually will help the city. The more intentional we get about sharing not just our financial resources, but also our connected resources, the better the city will eventually grow to be. We can realize that full potential, but we have to be intentional. And that's where I try to fill that gap. Is there a personal experience or lesson? What 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 got you here? I haven't heard many people say that they're intentional about putting people together. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'll get you up. Uh, you need to meet this person. Yes. Can you help? And then the, the thing for me is I have to follow them up follow them, and kind of annoy them yes. and say, can I talk to this person? Yes. So what what has shaped? Where did you come up with this? Where did, where did this? Why did why is this important? Honestly, I just got frustrated over the time that I was here. Not necessarily. Well, let me back up early, early on. In living here, I established very quickly that Kansas City is a like amalgamation of circles. Right. Sometimes those circles form a Venn diagram and there is overlap. overlap, Yeah. Right. But oftentimes and I don't know if this is like a scarcity mindset or what, but people will feel like, oh, because I know this person and it took me potentially this long to establish this relationship, I must now hold on to it with every piece of fiber and grip that I have and not avail this knowledge base, group base to anybody else because it took me this long to earn it. You have to earn it. Uh, it's a common mentality. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's not just in Kansas City. You said you came from Atlanta. Atlanta is very similar. Yes, to it is. Um, even Greensboro, very similar to that different because the city Greensboro is a smaller city. Atlanta is a massive city. Yeah. So very different. And and then you have like socioeconomics, you have ethnic differences, like it's very different. But if we put that in the context of Kansas City, I am trying to make more of the circles that I'm connected to overlap more to where they almost seem like they're singular. And I I don't. I work very hard not to allow some of the ridiculousness that can pop up in some of these relationships to cloud the ability for that to continue to happen. It is not uncommon for me to be having a conversation with an individual and they voice some type of tension or issue that they have with someone else. And I'm like, hey, have you spoken to that person? No, I haven't said anything. So do they know you feel like this? No, they don't know that I feel like this. I mean, you might want to reach out to them. And I don't play both sides to the middle. Yeah. I'll, I'll say, hey, I don't know that I don't know that they understand that the way you understand it. And here are some other considerations to just put out there again, outside looking in. And I let them know this is my 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 whole thing is my one and a half cents. Right. You can take it or leave it. But this is my one and a half cents on this particular situation. Now, can we come to common ground? Is there space for common ground? And sometimes there is. Sometimes there's not. But I still hold my relationships with both groups, with both people, because I don't find value in like the tribalism. Again, it goes back to that tribalism part that I talked about earlier that happens in circles, too. So what I attempt to do um, is make sure that it doesn't happen because I've I've seen it during my matriculation here through all the different avenues from my time in retail to my time in marketing to my my stint that I served in a nonprofit. I was uh, a member of 100 black men of greater Kansas city. And then I was the president for four years. And there were some interesting things that I learned about 
circles and people and networking and that kind of thing. And those experiences really opened my eyes to the value of being intentional about connecting, even when the world is actively working to disconnect. So what is one actionable idea or piece of advice you'd like to share with the listeners? I think this goes back to what I said before about intention. Uh, We should all strive to be a little bit more intentional in some of the things that we do. Even the things that seem insignificant. um, A lot of times in that perceived insignificance is the most value. And so I. I work very hard to educate myself on a wide array of things, understanding that that information will be usable at some time, regardless of how trivial it seems in the moment. I allow myself to rabbit hole on a wide array of things because it helps me to maintain that connectedness as uh, things shift, technology shifts, perspective shift. I have you seen Dune, the movie Dune? Yeah. Okay, so, you know, in Dune, when uh, when he's learning about how to navigate the sands. Yeah. And you have to move like the sand to prevent the sandworms from eating you. Right. I kind of follow that concept, but from a learning perspective. And so when I met with JQ recently uh, at Barnes and Nobles, I I picked up a few different magazines, three of them were on artificial intelligence. One was on timepieces. Now that seems might seem weird to, to some people because I'm looking at an analog form in a timepiece, like true timepieces, not digital watches, like Audemars Piquet, you know, high-end watches, you know, uh, Dave Bethune. I'm a huge fan of Dave Bethune. I kind of just recently got onto them. And so the fascinating thing about timepieces and their intricacy is that they pack a lot of artisanship, a lot of craftsmanship in a very small package. Mm-hmm. Like you wear it on your wrist. It's super small. And to a to a lay person who's not paying attention, a watch is a watch. I can determine by looking at somebody someone's wrist if it's a timepiece or a watch. Got it. There's a difference in craftsmanship. This Apple Watch is a watch. Yeah. If I see someone with a very specific brand on their wrist, it's a timepiece. Even like a Hamilton, you know, Longines, like you have to know, like that's a timepiece. Regardless of like perceived value, it's a timepiece. There's a difference. And then there's those that people know, Richard Meal and Rolex, fantastic brands, also artisanship, all, all of that. More easily recognizable. Then there's those outlier brands, Breguet, and you're like, do you know what that is? And and so I'm I do that across the board. And that allows me to have the kind of flexibility that I need to hold whatever kind of conversation. But then I also know about Hoka shoes. I I'm I'm I dig deeper into like the sneaker culture. So when I see someone with a specific pair of shoes on, I'm like, oh, okay, you're you have a very specific taste when it comes to those types of things. Um, but I do that across the board, jewelry, everything. So like, even as I looked at at your ring, like your wedding ring, oh, yeah. what's unique about the twist in that is that it's unusual because for a couple of reasons. That form is not typically 
placed inside of a men's ring or a band, it doesn't mean it cannot be. But that decision to get a band that twists tells me something interesting about you. And it, it would be my entry point into a conversation with you if I didn't already meet you and know you. I think you're you. one of the, maybe the fifth person, the Simobia strip, and we had them designed. My wife's matches. There you go. And so I, those are like the nuanced things that I pick up on. And I go outside of some of the common things, right? So with you, I'm not necessarily going to go to your shoes. Mm-hmm. I like your boots, but that's not where my focus would be because I don't, I don't think... And I'm assuming that when you put them on, you thought these are the unique identifiers for me when I walk out of the house. No, but your ring, that choice that you made, however many years ago you made it, there's something unique about that that speaks to me. And I've had this happen so many times with just people I've come in contact with. I once had a coworker that I worked with. She's an awesome person. Um, I don't want to call her name because I don't know if she'd be cool with that. But she had on this necklace and this particular necklace was... It, it was from Tiffany and Company, and it was a bean. Specifically, that was the name of that that charm. Mm-hmm. And it's a um, Picasso, a Poblano, Poblano. It's one of the one of the uh, relatives, a descendants of Pablo Picasso. Got it. I don't know if it's like his daughter, granddaughter. Anyway, she's an artist, and she did a line for Tiffany and Company, and that particular piece was the bean. So I saw it and I was like, okay, of all the things, like I scan a person and of all the things that she might have on, that's the outlier. That's a unique piece because everybody's not going to know what that is and everybody's not going to get it. I said, is that a bean? She was like, yeah. It's like from Tiffany and Company. Yeah. From the Picasso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, so I got this because the nickname for my daughter is Bean. Right? seemingly insignificant. No one else in the room saw it. Never even asked about it outside of that. And there's a human connection piece that comes with being able to identify those things. And so that's a part of, I hope that answers your question, a part of of that for me. So for you, um, the actionable piece of advice is just like observe kind of the people holistically in their their whole being. There were choices that went into what you put on today, not maybe every piece of it, right? Yeah, but there were choices like yeah. your, your glasses, for example, yes. the way you do that, the way your lenses work, etc. Yeah. That is an intentional choice. This yes. man took things. Um, I don't want to get off the topic here, but there's a there's a movie called Joe versus the volcano from years ago, okay. and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a scene in this. Uh, is, that, is Tom Hanks in Tom that? Hanks in that yeah, movie. there's a yeah. scene in that movie where he's talking to the driver, and he's like, "Well, what kind of clothes should I wear?" And he's like. He, he the, the driver, the chauffeur, or whatever it is, um, says, uh, you're asking me what kind of clothes you should wear. I mean, clothes make the man. You know, if you don't know what kind of clothes you need to wear, you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought it's one little snippet in this comedy, which is, I, I, you don't need to put this in the, the, the thing, but it's this one piece of advice in the film that I felt was somewhat profound to me whenever I saw it initially. And I was like, you know, literally, there's a reason behind the things we do. And um, I think that's important, you know, to kind of connect with people and find out where there is. The, my wedding ring, the fact that you notice that is really, um, it's quite flattering, number one. We've only had probably four or five people ever talk about it. E- they were either in jewelry mm-hmm. or you'd just gotten married and somebody's like, of course, checking out your ring. And that was that was a, a thing for us. So, so how do you stay informed, connected, and engaged in the Kansas City community? How do you do that? I keep, I, I hate to keep saying it, it's intention. So I 
I find people who are doing things impactful in the city. And I communicate and connect with them to see if there's common ground where we can both add value to each other in some form or fashion. And then I get active on trying to create that value for them. So that's what I do in the city. Um, And then I try to put myself in in different positions. Sometimes I get invited to different things. Um, So, for instance, the NFT project with the Nielsen. That actually came via a recommendation by an at somebody at added me on LinkedIn because the call was placed out to uh, there was a gentleman who made the request. I believe his name is Jeff. Jeff made a request. Lewis, my friend, added me and said he might be a fantastic person to connect with. Had a communication with Jeff. Jeff said, oh, this is cool. I also happen to be a technologist who's also creative. Um, so so that commonality led to me being included on the project. But that was an invitation. Again, seemingly insignificant invitation because a lot of times we overlook stuff like that. Yeah. Things will pop up, people are at you, and you just ignore it. like, Or you, you just go drop a simple like, but there's no follow-up. And so we missed, missed a lot of those opportunities. Um, my wife, Cynthia, like, there's this gentleman who on occasion has these dinners. His whole thing is bring somebody with you. And we want to sit down and have interesting conversations and just see what everybody's up to. Very simple. There were times when I turned down the invitation to go. And then there were times where like, I was like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to show up to this, to this dinner and sit and talk and have conversations. The conversations are almost always interesting. I meet really unique people from around the city who I've never met in my life. And I don't have any direct ties or connections to. Um, But then we meet over food and have a conversation. And then we, continue to go on about our lives. Sometimes we, you know, link up on LinkedIn or some social platform and we stay kind of tapped into each other and we, we follow what I also find enriching for me is I will be on LinkedIn. I'll have a first degree connection who achieves something. And it may be a something I'm a person that I've never met in real life. I will still congratulate them as if we've known each other for years and say onward and upward, like, I, I really am excited that this new thing is happening for you and you seem to be excited and you're at least excited enough to post it on here. And so congratulations. And it doesn't take anything to be positive. I don't expect to get anything from it. A lot of these people, like I said, they don't know me in real life. We're first degrees because we found some general common interest, but you've done, you, you know how that goes on yeah. LinkedIn. You find somebody, they do something cool. And you're like, Hey, you want to connect? Like, yeah, sure. Let's connect. Cool. No problem. But very few people take it a step further. Yeah. And and so, again, I'm not perfect at this. I'm trying to get better at it. But when someone connects with me on LinkedIn, one of the things that I try to do, this little hack for people who are trying to figure this part out, when you go and you connect with somebody and they accept your connection, thank them for accepting you into their network and then let them know that at some point in the future, you'd love to contact or connect with them. Sometimes it can be immediate. Sometimes they'll be like, yes, we need to meet now. Other times they'll be like, cool, appreciate that. They may just give you the thumbs up. They may completely ignore you. Not the point. The point is that you established a connection through gratitude for them even accepting it. What do you love most about Kansas City and what makes it stand out from other places you've been? Geographically, it's central to the country. So you can get almost anywhere within two and a half to three hours, which is probably one of the most undersold things. When it comes to the city, I can be in downtown Times Square if I get a 5 a.m. flight. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that enough people understand the value of that logistically when it comes to just business. I don't know why more companies aren't headquartered here. Honestly, it's I mean, we do have a significant amount of like top tier companies that are here, but it's wild with the, the amount of land that exists on both sides of the state line, how central we are now. People might not necessarily be the f- a fan of the weather, especially in the wintertime. Respect. But just in terms of general logistics, the ability to ship and move things, it's, it's no wonder that Amazon has so many hubs here yeah. and they plan to get more. And it's no wonder that Meta is building one of their data facilities in North Kansas City. Like all of this stuff is not unusual to me, but I'm surprised more companies aren't doing that. And I'm also surprised that, you know, the states don't take on like the Delaware approach of taxation, the boon that could happen here would be astronomical. Absolutely nuts. Which goes to my second thing. The density of talent in this city is grossly underrated because you have so many technical companies here. I don't know that at a high level, this area is really viewed as deeply technical because you have a, a high concentration of engineers, programmers, entrepreneurs, here because of that yeah just grossly underutilized and i I just don't think the city really focuses enough on that now that's changing we talked earlier about one of the new designations of the city as being a tech town so that's awesome in order for us to really see how far that goes we'll have to get over some of the ego stuff yeah we'll have to come to grips with some of the realities of the historical stuff and find a way through and then trust not only in leaders in singularity, but in ourselves to navigate those waters um, and find the commonality through intention to grow into what we could be as a city. But there's so much value in that. And again, the, and the trippy part is very rarely do you have the technical density and the artistic density that we have here. Again, grossly underrated. If you just go around downtown Kansas City and just see the, the sheer number of murals and just art pieces that are just up, I don't think the city gets enough credit for that. And I don't think the city gives itself enough credit for that. Yeah. Universally. I think we got pockets. Yeah. You know, you got the, the Crossroads crowd. Crossroads is cool. Right? Crossroads right. crowd, though. Yeah. It's a crowd. It's, it's a is. situation. Crossroads crowd doesn't necessarily vibe with the financial district crowd, which yeah. doesn't necessarily vibe with the city or the river market crowd. It's, it's very interesting in Sound that way. Rich. People like us. Yeah. And, and it's weird. I think it will take a contingency of outsiders to help the city understand the value that it has. That goes to the diversity part. Yeah. And the inclusion part. And the equity part. But you actually have to empower all of those things to function in their true capacity to see the value. And I think that's where a lot of companies are getting it totally wrong. What steps would you suggest to someone who wants to make a difference in KC? Evaluate the networks that you're already connected to and determine how how they may potentially add value to other networks that you are also connected to. Even ones that you're connected to in a very loose level, you don't have to have the most established relationships to make sure that all of them work. But you can be, again, intentional. And I'm sorry, there's probably going to be like an intentional counter on this. um, And that's fine. Um, But attempt to make those things work together in some form or fashion. And you don't have to be aggressive about it. 
just feel how it naturally works together and then work to make those alignments happen even at a very basic level. So if it's just a, hey, David, I'm going to start a a group text between me, you and Lewis. So you all can just start that conversation. Okay, cool. It started. Now I'll back out. Be ready to back out Mm -hmm. and don't don't look for any type of credit necessarily for the things that are happening. But celebrate. When things are going well, not just for you, but for others in the area, and you'll find that over time, that same energy that allowed for that greatness to happen there will eventually make its way back to you uh, in some form or fashion. And it's not necessarily about an expectation. It's just been my experience, especially as of late, when things in life started to shift, the energy that I was putting out, especially the stuff that I was doing at Keystone, there started to be a lot of intersection and overlap. And I think anybody can benefit from something like that. Um, And I'm, I'm like this close to like constructing a formal rapid connection course. Mm. I've been ruminating on it. I kind of did a test of it at Keystone one night. There was a speaker that wasn't able to make it. And so I'd already had the whole idea of rapid connection anyway, but I wanted to kind of put it to the test. And I think people got some value out of it so I could find a way. So the way I talked to you about scanning and finding small things, I would love to teach more people how to do that. Just so they know how, yeah, how to explore that part of it and make those connections. That's a really interesting idea. Um, so when you look out into the KC landscape right now, who are leaders, influencers, what have you, or just good humans who, who inspire you? Uh, we do not have enough time for that. Just in terms of the list of people, I know so many fantastic humans. Um, it's my short list. Well, of course, my wife. Uh, she's doing some amazing and profound work, especially when it comes to helping people share their story and their experiences. Um, and the work she's doing with Launch Crate. And even the work that she's done recently with Don Carter and the Joy in Pain Tour, um, deeply transformative work. I went through the last session. I had an opportunity, of course, to see the first session that they did. And then the last session, they were significantly more seasoned and they had the rhythm and flow and everything down. And it actually helped me as I've had to transition out of the full time gig that I had into the work that I'm doing now. Um, Just the way I'm able to now reframe things has been very, very helpful. So if you get a chance to see Cynthia Fells speak somewhere, I know she's going to be at the Global Entrepreneur Week next week. Um, actually on Thursday. So the same day that I present in the evening, she's presenting in the afternoon hours for Global Entrepreneur Week. So go and sign up for that because you do have to be registered. It is free, but go and register and and go and check out her session. Um, I know she has some overlap with Don Carter's session, so maybe bounce between both sessions, but absolutely check out hers just in reestablishing joy. Um, I think I've mentioned a couple of names already. Spark Spark Bookhart with Parent Power Lab, um, Edgar Palacios with the LEC, uh, Latinx Latinx Education Collaborative, uh, Cornell Ellis with Block uh, Brothers Liberating Our Communities. Um, All three of those organizations work in the educational space. Um, 
Spark focuses more on parent advocacy, while Edgar and um, and Cornell focus on educational representation for people of color. Uh, Cornell focuses on African-American male representation in the classroom. Edgar Palacios focuses on the Latinx representation in the classroom uh, because the 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 uh, the numbers bear it out. You know, we need more individuals there to empower our young people who identify in those respective um, ethnic groups. Um, and then Laura Palacios, Edgar's wife, she's a fantastic human. Um, gosh, so many people. And I don't, please forgive me, guys. I don't, there's so many of you all. It would be difficult. Um, JQ Searles, and of course, the work that we're doing with Story Taylor is a, is a huge deal, huge opportunity to help expand story and na- narrative to include more people which has not been happening in the past. And also to re-engage imagination. I think it's important to do that, be able to continue to hold on to that childlike wonder or re-engage it as you you know, get a little bit older. It gets easier to detach from that. Uh, keep an eye out for Lewis Bird and Arlene Bird's. Their story is going to be, oh my gosh, you guys have no idea. They have a documentary uh, that they released I will send you the link. We should absolutely link that up so people can go and watch it because the battle. Oh, just hold on, guys. Strap in. It's going to be wild. I I can't. I get goose. I get goosebumps talking about what's Garrett. I I wish I could actually get goosebumps. I'm legit getting goosebumps. I wish I could tell you all more. More will avail itself. But the work that those that power couple is doing is phenomenal. Mark my words on this right now. Phenomenal. Watch. Absolutely. Um, there's so many more people. Your sister. Yeah. Is doing amazing work. Uh, she just assembled a group of AI Avengers, I guess. That's yeah. happening. We're the AI Avengers. We are the probably, AI. <laughs> there's AI there's Avengers. probably, uh, we'll get that trademark and we'll, there'll be t-shirts. There yeah. should absolutely, I mean, that the actually would be really right funny. There. We it's could right totally there. do that. Yeah, AI, the right. it's, it's right yeah. there. Why not? We should do that. We should totally do that. And I can I, design, yeah. it's fine. We have plenty totally. of designers. Um, who else is doing amazing work? The museum. Yeah. I, most of the groups and organizations I've already mentioned are already doing fantastic work. The Nielsen Atkins, their whole movement at Nielsen Atkins Museum and their entire movement and everything that they're doing over there. It is 1000 percent worth a look, watch, gander experience, all of that. So, again, most of the groups, organizations and people that I've already mentioned, you should absolutely check them out. Um, and if you want more, uh, a list of them people and maybe that's something to think about yeah some type of informal directory we've we've already started putting um every sh- suggested for the podcast because I, I know you mentioned it yeah I, I think finding us a way to centralize that and have it like managed we've been be talking cool. about that for a while because it feels like all these things are in so many different places and i'm not trying to displace anything i just want to send people to where they need to go kansas city on both sides of the state line i love to look at kansas city like a galaxy yeah there are so many stars both known and unknown that just exist in a city at varying levels of their stardom. Uh, but Kansas city is truly a galaxy. There's been some amazing talent that have, has come out of this city that are known at a national level. Um, the, the young man, Kaylin, mm-hmm. who was doing work with Ellen. He's from Kansas city. I did not know that. Yeah. Casey K. 
Uh, he went through the uh, Kaufman Scholars program. That, that's the only reason I know about that because my wife told me about him like early on. So he's a he's a product of Kansas City. Uh, Janelle Monet, Kansas City, Kansas. Um, Don Cheadle and um, Eric Stone Street and like everybody you typically see who shows up at the parade. Yeah, Paul Rudd, all those people from it's wild the galaxy that is Kansas City. And there's so many more budding stars that are coming out of here. Davion Ross was Shot Tracker. I don't know if you've ever communicated with Davion Ross. One of the most underrated pieces of tech and entrepreneurs coming out of Kansas City. It is. It has been a crime on this city that we don't know more about the work that he put in with Shock Tracker and everything that's there. Um, I've seen so many people just develop amazing pieces of technology that that come out of the city, and it's just not known. So I think coming up with a you know a galaxy directory of all these stars might make some sense. That would. That's a really good idea. So we're gonna we're gonna put that on the site. Um, they'd already been talking about doing that, and I was just like, it was um, yeah. Our our booking manager the other day suggested she's like, you know, we need this. Like, and when they mentioned a coffee shop, oh, brings me to the question. I almost forgot to ask. Yeah. Um, best barbecue in Kansas City. Okay, so my my answer is a little bit complex for two reasons. One, my parents are Midwesterners. Ah. Even though I was born in D.C. and raised primarily on the East Coast, we always had Midwestern barbecue. Sorry, North Carolina people. Many of y'all who I love, some of y'all. Mm. <laughs> but there's this weird claim that North Carolina has amazing barbecue. I'm sorry. It's not true. They do not. Okay. If you're not a pulled pork person and you don't love deeply vinegar based dressings or sauces and coleslaw i love coleslaw by the way but i don't eat pork anymore but even when i did pulled pork was overrated my dad was making brisket at the house Mm. in a smoker like for real like he would stay up for hours and smoke a brisket i did not understand the significance of that until i got much older and of course moved to kansas city and i'm like okay i get it that culture different is different in the midwest so to get back to your specific question, I like each barbecue place for their own things. And then there's these weird little outlier places that like people don't really know about. So Gates is fantastic on the experience alone. Yeah. You have to experience Gates if you come to Kansas City. That's just a fact. I'm not going to give you the hints ahead of time for people who come in from outside the city because you have to experience it for yourself. But Kansas Cityans, you know, and you're probably laughing at this part right now. Um, but also on days where it really hits Gates's fries unmatched uh, wings, specifically at the downtown gates, because they don't serve the wings everywhere mm. are fantastic. Um, I have not had them yet, but like the natives who really know the onion rings from Gates, I heard, are fantastic. I will try them at some point. Um, but beef on bun on bread is my order, if you're wondering. Um, Q39 is good. If you want to get swanky, it's typically very loud. But their, barbe- their barbecue, the way they do their meats, is fantastic. Uh, Jack Stack is probably best known for their sides. And that's fair, because their sides are solid. Um, fan, A fan of their barbecue as well. It's Cool sit-down spot if you want to celebrate. Typically, I typically go to the one in the crossroads. Um, and if you're going to do Joe's, mm-hmm. you got to do Joe's. 
So let me not that if you're going to when you do Joe's, if you don't go to the one at the gas station in KCK, might I add in Kansas City, Kansas. If you don't go to that one, you're doing yourself a disservice. You must go to Joe's that's attached to the gas station. It's no longer a gas station like they don't distribute gas anymore, but you still have to go to gas station Joe's. Got it. It's paramount. Hack, order before you go, because the line gets ridiculous. And the ridiculousness starts at about 1030 a.m. almost every day that they're open. I'm talking about out the door, round the corner line. Kansas City Joe's, formerly known as Oklahoma Joe's, at the gas station, you must go to that one. There's some other Joe's around the city. The gas station one is the one. We will link to all of this, and we're gonna have it. We're gonna have an interactive map on the website. Um, I just announced that we're doing it, so we're doing it. Yes. Uh, we're gonna have an interactive map on the website. What's suggested last week for us, and we'll get that in there where we can put all these things in there. I'd like to interview the people who run these different barbecue places at some point. So honorable mention, yeah. Hickory Log in Kansas City, Kansas. Okay. Not a lot of people know about it. It actually changed management, and I have spoken to the owner of the Hickory Log. Um, and I hear they do karaoke nights on Wednesday, but I haven't actually gone to experience that yet. But I've had Hickory Log. It's solid. Um, there's certain parts that I prefer from different restaurants. So if you got like into like the actual cuts of meat, um, each place does things a little bit differently. Uh, the burn-ins from from Jack Stack are fantastic, but pretty much anything you get from Joe's is on. And I already told you my Gates order, so yeah. So with that, uh, we brought you to the end of another episode of the Kansas City Leaders. I'd like to thank my guest, Hurston Fails. Thank you for having me. Um, or as he likes to say, never fails. Um, yeah. For those of you out here who want to be involved in the show or support our initiatives or support these people, please get in the website, email us. We do respond to your questions online. And um, I would just like to, to finish this up with um, Hurston is one of those uh, great humans who's working to connect people in the city. Chief technology officer at Storyteller, um, futurist. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say that I don't think I've talked about on this is that I met him at this uh, Keystone Collab Wednesday night event a week or so ago. And if you could have seen the audience, a fairly diverse audience, not just that, but when we talk about diversity, I'm talking about the age. There were people who were 70 plus years old there, and there were children who were three to five. And just to watch them interact and watch him manage that. If you can, if you haven't seen Hurston talk or have been involved, um, I'd love to put you in contact with him. Again, thank you for coming on the show today. And um, I just can't thank you enough. It's been wonderful. You know, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, the persistence I also appreciate because uh, life lifes. Yeah. And it can be hard to, to keep it all together. So thank you all for getting everything coordinated. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the KC Leaders Podcast. Please remember to like, share, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen. For more information about this podcast, you can visit kcleaderspodcast.com. And don't forget to check out our other great podcasts like The Buck Stops Here, streaming now on all major platforms and at thebuckstopsherepodcast.com.